Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3. And what we're going to be doing is for the next two weeks, so today and also next Sunday, we're just going to do a short two-part series simply called spiritual awakening, spiritual awakening. And the reason why we decided to do this is because today at sundown, we are actually starting our One Desire Fast. And so what we wanted to do was to provide not only the materials that we've been giving out to you and just having you fast together, but also to link that, connect that together with the Sunday celebration message so that we could even cover it during life group. So we're, everything we do, there's a purpose behind it, and we're hoping that it will encourage you. It will also give you strength to be able to fast as God gives you His grace and the strength for you to do that. And so we want to make sure that everything is lining up together. Uh, not only that, but if you remember back in September in 2020, just recently this past year, uh, we just share with all of you that the theme for this coming year is simply shine. And so we focused in on this idea of God shining on us and to illuminate things in our lives. And also then we could shine God's light to the city and to the world. And this is the reason why we use the Matthew chapter 5 passage. And we talked about this idea of we are the light of the world. And that we are, as together collectively, we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And that we are supposed to do our good works uh, by God's grace and to serve and to love people around us so they can see this light and be drawn to who Jesus Christ is. And so as we think through all the stuff, I just wanted to just thank uh, those of you who might not know. I Actually, I was just checking out a social media just trying to get it out of my system before I have to fast. But just checking out our church's social media, they have a lot of great materials out there, even in our church app, going over why we fast. So praise God for the ITP, our IPT, the Intercessory Prayer Team. Uh, they prepared a lot of the materials. And also we have a group of leaders who are part of this thing called Crew, who's overseeing a lot of different events in our church. So we wanted to thank God for them for preparing all these things so that we can be better equipped to be able to endeavor in this fast together. We cannot do this just on our own strength. We need God. So praise God for them. And so as we're starting off this idea of spiritual awakening, I wanted to ask you, I'm wondering how many of you have actually heard of the great awakening that happened in the United States? Now, those of you who are a little bit more of a history buff or you enjoy history, you will know that in the United States, uh, there were several great awakenings, and they call it a great awakening because people were in a spiritual stupor, or if you want to look at it, they were struggling, complacent, and God somehow awakened them. And the first great awakening happened in the 1700s, uh, around 1730s, and there were prominent leaders such as George Whitfield, uh, Jonathan Edwards, and then there was a second great awakening that happened later on uh, around the 1760s or 70s around there. And through that, a lot of reform happened. 
and being able to see schools getting started, universities getting started, seeing different mission societies getting started. That second awakening, great awakening, actually propelled evangelism and mission around the world. And so as we're talking about this idea of awakening and about this revival, because that's exactly what many of these people experienced in the 18th century, that there was a revival in their lives, in their spiritual lives. So the question is this, what is a revival? You know, it's interesting because now we are coming to a whole, there's many of you who are part of a new generation. And when you think about the word revival, it's really hard to conjure up what that really means. But some of us from the old school, like, like me, when you hear words like revival meeting, these revival gatherings, uh, it conjures up a whole different meaning. And so just so that we're on the same page, as we're talking about spiritual awakening, as we're talking about revival, especially as we're entering into this fast, let me uh, give you a, a definition that was given by John Piper. He was in an interview and someone asked him very um, openly, what, what is a spiritual revival and what does that mean? And so he gives it and defining it in a biblical way. And he writes this. He says, the idea of revival originates in the reality that on the one hand, God is the decisive giver of all spiritual life. And on the other hand, humans, even those who are born again and part of God's covenant family from time to time drift into a kind of lifelessness and lethargy and sliding and indifference and weakness. And when you put those two together, God as the giver of life and man as ever drifting towards lifelessness, what you get is the need for the hope of reviving, which is simply coming back to life, a fresh outpouring of God's life-giving spirit on his people. That is what revival is. So if you just kind of read or listened to this quote by John Piper, you realize that it's really a work of God, but also it's something that we do in human responsibility that we respond to what it is that God is doing. So he's the one who speaks to our hearts. He breathes life into us to revive those things that might have been dead. And that's where we get the word revive. We're bringing back to life those things that have been awakened because we understood the gospel at one time in our lives. Many of us are forgetful people. And that's why it's really easy to forget about how God saved us from different things in our lives. We forget the moment that we understood the gospel and we put our trust in him. And it's so easy to get comfortable. It's so easy to get complacent. And therefore, to pray for a revival, to pray for a spiritual awakening is not only a move of God and the work of God, but it's something that we have to respond to. Because God can move. But if your heart is hardened and you don't want to get out of your complacency and your comfortable setting, then your heart will not be revived. So I thought that was really interesting. And so what I wanted to do is just those of you who might not know, but there are moments in history where God in a very extraordinary way moved amongst his people. Now, there is no rhyme or reason of how revival starts or how it ends. There's no cycle to it. 
it, it could happen one year and then there could be a drought for 50 years. Sometimes it could happen in a three-year period and then it would happen like five years later. But one of the things that we see time and time again and just throughout the history of revival is that point of God moving powerfully, people responding to what God is doing, and there is definitely life transformation. So I wanted to show you just a short montage of some of the key revivals that happened throughout history. And there are many, if you study history, there are many revivals that happened that stirred up the hearts of people, that stirred up the church, that helped people to get more on fire or excited for Jesus Christ and of God's mission. And so this is a very, like a two minute, very short uh, montage. If some of you are interested, you can read up on it or look on the YouTube for other uh, videos regarding some of these revival meetings. But these were some of the major ones that have happened in the history of this world. So let's watch this together. It's powerful, isn't it? As you just kind of got a really quick panoramic view of some of the major revivals that happened in the history of this world. And some of them are more recent as God had been stirring in our hearts. I'll never forget when I was in seminary, it was the first year, and we began to hear these rumblings of a revival that began to happen in Toronto, where lives were being changed and people were getting healed. And uh, then they came over, some of those people who experienced that came over to Wheaton, uh, a Christian college in Illinois, and there was a revival there. And one story that always sticks out is that we're talking about a Christian college, Christian university, with people who grew up in the church. And oftentimes it's those people that need a revival. As they get really comfortable and they're saved and they think they're doing okay. And as people came and began to share stories and testimonies of the power of God, uh, from what I was hearing from the people who were there at that time, they were bringing different things that, uh, to the altar, to the, to the stage, repenting of things that they have put them in bondage. And God stirred the hearts of many of these young students, uh, even during the uh, early or mid-90s. And so I'm just wondering right now, how many of us, that this is something that we desire in our lives. When I think about our church, and I think about some of you who are watching, I think for many of us, if we were to be honest before God and before one another, we're going to have to say that we are complacent in our spiritual lives. Some of you right now are struggling with even some areas of sin and maybe bondage, and there is no way that you're experiencing the fullness of life that God is calling you to experience. Some of you, because of that bondage, there's a lot of shame and guilt. And whenever you feel that, there is no way that you want to go before God. Some of you are still wrestling through from things of the past. Some of us, even if we wanted to, somehow you feel that something is holding you back from really experiencing everything that God has for you. Some of you have even lost any desire for the things of God because you have saturated your mind and your heart with the things of this world and things that are so temporary that you don't have any desire, any hunger for spiritual things. And lastly, I think something that is very discouraging is that there are some of us where our hearts are so hardened that nothing moves us. That's why as I think about where we are as a church, 
as I think about some of you, what I'm praying for in these next two weeks as we enter into the fast, as we talk about the sermon series in these two parts, as we go over some other passages and talk about these sermon parts in our life group, everything that we do, I'm praying that these two weeks will be so impactful that it will literally transform your life. Especially for those of us who have gone to church for a very long time. Some of you who have been part of our church ever since maybe in the beginning. And you've gone through all the motions. You've been there. You've done that. Nothing moves you anymore. Nothing stirs your heart anymore. I'm praying that these next two weeks, God will do something. And that's why as we cover this series, I'm praying that for a fresh touch a fresh anointing that will come upon all of our lives. I'm praying that for myself, that even as I'm getting older, I'm saying, God, help me to be as excited, as hungry, as looking towards the things of your purposes when I was younger. Help me to be that much more as I'm getting older. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing for today is simply this, that we can overcome our complacency as we repent with true transparency, that we can overcome our complacency as we repent with true transparency. So I want to go ahead and give us a time to break up into our huddle groups. Uh, as some of you already know, uh, these are some incredible times, challenging times. And I'm praying that when we do these huddle groups, when we still keep on emphasizing life groups, it's because we want you to be connected and not alone. It's during these times where it's easy to be alone. And that's where isolation, loneliness, Satan uses those things to pull you further away from the things of God and God's heart. So we want to bring us together. And that's what the huddle group is about. We normally don't do it if we were to do it live. But we're doing this because we want some interaction. Because what we cannot get in person, we're praying that through something like this, you can receive it. So... Uh, I pray that it's not just something that we just do, but see it as an opportunity to minister. Because when you are vulnerable and you share it, you minister to people because they see the grace of God in your life. When you listen, when someone shares, then you're helping them to be connected and so that they get ministered to in that way as well. So we're going to break up into 100 groups. I'm going to give you six minutes. There are two questions, and the questions are simply this. Why is it easy for a person to slowly drift from their intimacy with God? And the second question is, what are some things that can cause a person to get apathetic in their relationship with God? So go ahead and discuss those two questions and we'll bring you back in six minutes. Enjoy. Amen. Welcome back. Hopefully you had a good opportunity to share with one another. And once again, as you're answering these questions, it helps us to process some of the things that we're talking about and some of the things that we will be talking about. So as we talked about how we need to have uh, this sense of uh, overcoming our complacency in our lives, then there has to be this true transparency, uh, repenting of our sins, being able to come before God, even with one another and sharing what's going on inside our lives. And that's how we're going to experience uh, and overcome the complacency in our lives. And so I want to talk about two specific things as we look into this passage. 
It's a familiar passage to many of you, but I'm hoping that in this context of the spiritual awakening, that it will give us greater insights and to really hear from the voice of God what it is that He's trying to say to us. The first thing that I want to highlight here is that God inquires of us. He is asking us. He is investigating us. He is wanting to know things and wanting us to know things. So God inquires of us. This passage today is part of this vision that Apostle John received when he was exiled in Patmos. And those of you who might know a little bit of the history there. And so he got this vision from God. And so he started writing it down. And this is part of this larger story in the book of Revelation. Because you know that there were seven churches that John received a vision and God spoke to these seven churches. And so with that in mind, as these churches were in Asia Minor, you will notice that now as we come to the church in Laodicea, there's something that God specifically addresses to the people there. So let me go ahead and read verse 14. We're just going to read one verse first, uh, and then we will look into the other passage about this whole church. So in verse 14, listen to what it says. And to the angel of the a church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now we notice that part of this letter as it's written uh, to these churches, especially here in Laodicea, these were the words, the very words of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why it's interesting to note that there are four descriptions or descriptors that are used to describe who Jesus Christ is. We see here, Jesus is the amen. As those of you who know the word amen, it means let it be so. And he refers to himself as the amen because what he's saying is that he affirms that everything that he has said, it is true. Another thing that we see as a descriptor is that Jesus is faithful. That means he is consistent with his character. The other idea of being a true witness speaks to his nature, that he speaks truthfully and to what God has promised, that he's a faithful witness to those things he has fulfilled in his life while he lived here on this earth. And then lastly, Jesus is the beginning of God's creation because he is the what? The Alpha and the Omega. We see that in the beginning chapters, that he is the beginning and the end. Now, it's important to note here, as he talks about the beginning of creation, it does not mean that Jesus Christ was created. In fact, the better translation, if you study this, it means that it is the source or the origin of creation. So Jesus Christ existed even before time began. So why is this important? Listen to me carefully. I'm going to try to dissect this passage so that we can understand it as we're talking about overcoming our complacency and as we repent with true transparency. The reason why this is important, as we start off in verse 14, is because the things that are going to be said in verse 15 and on, it will not be easy to receive. The reason why Jesus starts off and says, this is who I am. I am the amen, the, 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 the beginning of God's creation. And he talks about being faithful and the true witness is because everything that he's about to say in verse 15 and on, it is not going to be easy 
to receive it. And as you think about this, you realize that Jesus, even in the book of John, says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm challenging some of us because I believe that many of you are where you are right now is because you don't want to hear the truth. In fact, can I take it a step further? You don't have people who love you enough to speak the truth to you. And even if they do speak the truth because they do care for you and they do love you, for some of us in our insecurity, in our pride, because we think we're going to lose something or we're going to look at it, people are going to look upon us in a negative way that we do everything to resist it. Jesus Christ is speaking to you who is the amen, the truth, the, the faithful witness from the beginning of time. It's not a pastor. It's not your life group leader. It's not some friend of yours. But it's Jesus Christ who's all this. And so for him to establish this, all we know is there's some things coming that we have to pay attention to. And that's why I think, as I'm thinking about this even in my own life, this is why many of us, we settle for really shallow friendships. That's one of the things I've noticed ever since I've come to Asia. Some of your friendships, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to judge. I'm just purely going by if you love somebody, sometimes you're willing to hurt them, even though it's hard to tell them these things. And I had to process it. Because whenever, I, oh yeah, they're my good friend, and I see how they interact. I see how this person is struggling, but if you're his good friend or if you're this person's good friend, then why would you allow them to be where they are? Then as I was processing, I realized we are that insecure. We love ourselves that much. We don't want to lose their friendship. Trust me, I mean, I've lived life not a long, long time, but long enough that when you take the risk and say things, because you really care about somebody, I guarantee you, once they come around, once they understand it, your friendship will get that much stronger. Because they realize later on, you're saying this because you care for them. This is the reason why in Asia, and I'm just trying to observe it from very in a third-person point of view, is that we tolerate self-centeredness, we tolerate like passive aggressiveness. That's a sin. I understand we're trying to save face. We don't want someone to look bad. But if they're disobeying God, if they're going in a direction that's going to lead them to a lot of bondage issue, if you care for them, why wouldn't you? Because we make it all about ourselves. We don't want to lose their friendship. We don't want them to get angry at us. We don't want to be this bad guy or whatever it may be. It's all about us. This is the very reason why some of you are not getting discipled. Because you don't want to have someone tell you what to do. 
You don't want somebody to point out some things in your life. Because you'd rather just be comfortable with where you are, doing what you want to do, no one speaking into your life. You're the captain of your own ship. You're in the driver's seat. Why would you want to get discipled? Why would you want to get mentored? I think we should say Jesus is the amen. He's the true and faithful witness. Because there's going to be some hard things that are coming. I haven't even touched it yet. Look, Jesus, Lord. I'm just wondering, how is it any better just by putting a Band-Aid when we're profusely bleeding because of our sin? What would happen if we really knew Jesus' character? How would we respond to him? If we knew him just beyond him loving us. Well, let's continue. This is now the thing that we're going to have to address. Starting from verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. He says this to the people of Laodicea, the believers there. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I told you, I, I warned you, it's coming. To understand what Jesus is trying to say, I think it will help with a little context and a little understanding of the city of Laodicea. There are a couple things, several things that I want you to kind of understand so that you'll know why these words are so strong. Just This is in the history books. So what we find out about Laodicea is this. The first thing is this, that it was a wealthy and prosperous city. It was known as the financial and the banking center of Asia Minor around that time. It was also known for manufacturing because they were good at textile, because there were special like ridges where a lot of the sheep, they would grow, and all the, I don't know what to call it, fur, I guess, was growing, so the wool. And so through that, they, they had a booming textile manufacturing kind of center in Laodicea. Another thing is that they were also known for some of the more technological, if you want to look at it back then, it was a technological breakthrough with some of the medicinal things that they were able to discover, like salve and some cure for the eyes, and you'll see why that's the case. But this city was booming. We're talking about they were prosperous, uh, they were wealthy. And can I just say this? There is something about growing up in comfort that does a lot of bad things for your spiritual life. I'll talk about that more later. So hold on. We're not getting to that yet, but hold on. 
Another thing you'll notice about this city is that not only is it wealthy and prosperous, but it was a resilient and self-sufficient city. If you look into the history books, in 60 AD, there was an earthquake in Laodicea. And the Roman government was going to come and help fund some of the rebuilding efforts. But the people in Laodicea decided, we don't need you. We're going to do it ourselves. Self-sufficiency. We don't need help from anyone else. Because we're a wealthy and prosperous, uh, prosperous city. We have all the resources we need. We can do this. So can you imagine? Here is a city full of people who are not only self-sufficient, but they're resilient. They came out of this earthquake and the city began to boom once again. I think this is the reason why even Paul, when you think about this, he mentions in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. We're not going to have time to look at it, but you could just jot it down and look at it later. He talks about how he was concerned about the people in Laodicea. Because everything about the city and everything about Christianity within the city, it exuded success. It exuded confidence. It just had a positive vibe. That's why in verse 15 through 17, as we just read, Jesus' assessment of the church of Laodicea is on point. What does he say? He specifically zeroed in on two major categories of issues or problems that he wanted to address to the people of Laodicea. The first thing was this. They were unmotivated. They were unmotivated. Jesus indicts the believers for being neither cold or hot, but instead they were lukewarm. Now, let me just explain this because I think a lot of times in our just human mind, we just think to ourselves, oh, that you either got to be like hot, like on fire for Jesus or cold, you hate Jesus, but don't be lukewarm. That is not what Jesus was referring to. This is why I think sometimes maybe some of you grew up in the youth group you kind of misunderstood this passage. That is not what Jesus is trying to say. He's not talking about, I'm hot for Jesus. Okay, I guess you could be hot for Jesus, right? I'm burning hot for Jesus, and then I'm cold for Jesus. But don't be lukewarm. Kind of like in Asia, they love drinking lukewarm water. Uh, that is the most disgusting thing uh, that I had to overcome. Because when you're sweating and you're hot, the last thing you want to do is drink lukewarm water. You want to drink cold water, or I like things on, on the extremes. I'm, I'm just so extreme. I like things on the, I like things that are piping hot. You know, in, in, in Korean, there's a word, a phrase, it's called takun takun. You know, it's just like boiling, that, that bubbly thing. That's how I like some of those soups when we're eating this. And so it's interesting because what Jesus is saying is you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And this is the issue that he has with them. And let me explain what I mean by that, and what Jesus is referring to here. The thing is, when you think about this idea of being lukewarm, in order to understand what he's trying to refer to, he's actually talking about the water supply in Laodicea. And I need to give you a little bit of a, a kind of explainer on this. Uh, Laodicea had no local, local water supply. Like they, they, they weren't around a place where the water was just abundant. So because of that, they had to use a viaduct, kind of like a pipe, to bring in water from two cities, Teropolis 
and also Colossae. So if you look at this map, I'm going to show it to you so you know. Uh, so we see Heropolis right there. Laodicea is right in the middle. If I don't know if you are able to see it. It's right there. And then you see Colossae is on the bottom. So Laodicea was right in the middle. And the thing that I want you to notice is this, that they got their water source from these two cities, the one on top, which is Heropolis, and the one on the bottom, which is Colossae. Now, the thing about this is that the one on top, Heropolis, they were known for their hot springs. So, so this place, Heropolis, had some of the greatest uh, just springs, hot springs, where people can get healed, these miraculous hot springs. The bottom one, Colossae, the thing about Colossae was that they had the most pure and refreshing water. It was very cold. So on a very hot day, this is the kind of water you want to drink. So if you keep this in mind, the point that Jesus is trying to say is this. If you're hot, because he's referring to water, then it's useful because it brings healing. You can kind of take a warm bath. If you're cold, you're useful because when you're thirsty, you can actually drink a refreshing cold water. So what Jesus is saying is this, because you are so unmotivated, you are useless. You're not hot, which will bring healing through the water. You're not cold where it's going to be refreshing. You're just lukewarm. And another thing you need to understand, because it's being brought through a viaduct, it is very likely, and it was often said, that the water that came, eventually when it came to Laodicea, it was sometimes polluted, it was sometimes dirty, and it was lukewarm. So if you wanted to use it for medicinal purpose, you had to heat it up. If you wanted to do it more refreshing, because they didn't have a refrigerator or ice, so they would have to wait in the nighttime to let it cool down. So once again, what Jesus is saying is this, you're useless because you are unmotivated. I'd rather have you hot or I'd rather have you cold because both of them are useful. Now, I don't know about you, but hearing that you're useless, I mean, it strikes a nerve, doesn't it? Because we want to hear that we're useful. Pastor, you're so negative. You don't call anyone useless. It's God's word. I'm, I'm just preaching his word. Therefore, Jesus says, I would want you to be cold for drinking or being refreshing, or hot for bathing, or for healing, or medicinal reasons, but you're so lukewarm, which is useless. That's why, if you look at the message translation of verse 16, it says this, you're stale. <laughs> you're stagnant. You make me want to, what? Blech. Vomit. These are the words of Jesus. Remember the amen, the true faithful witness, So that's the first thing. As God is inquiring of them, 
asking them questions, looking into their hearts, looking into their lives, the first thing that we see in a city that is prosperous and things are comfortable and they're self-sufficient, they're resilient type of people that the world will love to have working for them, Jesus says, you are unmotivated. The second thing that we notice here is that not only were they unmotivated, but they were unaware. In verse 17, Jesus confronts the believer's false sense of security and their ignorant belief that everything's fine. But in reality, they are unaware of their own sinfulness. Listen to that. Look look at the key phrase again, not realizing that. Listen to some of these other translations that talks about that. The message translation, oblivious that in fact you are this, this, and this. The NASV says, you do not know. The Passion Translation says, yet you are what? Clueless that you are this, this, and this. The people thought that they were rich. They had prosperity. They didn't need anything. They're doing okay. There's no struggles. There's no hardships. There's nothing going on. Sounds like a lot of church people. You know, life is great. Or if I want to challenge some of you, those of you who grew up in a certain culture that it's very easy and there's a greater propensity to be comfortable. Man, I've been having a lot of conversation with some people from a particular nation, and I'm like, please explain yourself. I want to understand because I have theories, and I just need you to confirm for me why this is the case. Some of you grew up in an environment where you were the minority, but you own 80% of the wealth. And in that kind of environment where then, as you know, you were brought up in such a way that you could not even hold a Chinese name because you were possibly looked upon as communists. I know you have no idea what country I'm talking about, right? And then in 1998, a something situation happened where you had to try to protect yourself. So when you add all those things together where you have a protection mindset, you are the minority, but you hold all this wealth and you live a comfortable life, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no, sometimes no motivation and you are unaware of what's happening in your life. And I'm not trying to pick on one particular group of people, one ethnic group of people, because if you broaden that even further, there are so many that fit under this umbrella. Not only that, but I want to challenge some of you who grew up in the church. Some of you who lived a very comfortable life. Where you don't really have struggle. Your only struggle was, oh, my Wi-Fi is slow. <laughs> First world problems, I'm telling you. Or my phone is like lagging. It's lagging. I need a new one. It's a very touchy subject, so that's why I'm trying to add some humor to it, but yet it doesn't do justice because it's a serious thing that Jesus is trying to address. 
when you are unmotivated and unaware. Because you think, hey, I'm doing well. I'm prosperous. Things are not that bad. But then Jesus turns to you and says, you are pitiful. You are wretched. I don't know about you, but that should jolt us. That's why if you want to use that term lukewarm, lukewarm believers during this time and even for our time today, we were complacent or we are complacent and we are comfortable. Therefore, we are oblivious. We have no clue of what's happening to our lives. I think this is the reason why difficulties, hardships, persecution is good for us. Can I get an amen? Now, I can't hear y'all, but... Can you imagine some of you are so sadistic? Yes, bring it on. But if you're normal, no one wants hardships. No one wants trials. In fact, you don't want to pray for that. But what I'm saying is that we live in a sin-filled world. We live in a world in our own hearts. We're wrestling through with things. And so there will be hardships. There will be trials. There will be difficulties. But this is the beauty of God that he uses those things to motivate us and to bring us to awareness. Awareness of who we are, where we are, and what it is that we need to do. I was just thinking about this, and I'm like, how do I, how do I make my point? I just realized, let history speak for itself. When you think about some of the biggest churches, and I think it's kind of going down now, but because of prosperity. But when you think about some of the fervent and the largest churches, they're in Korea. And the reason why they got there was because after the Korean War, there was total devastation, suffering, difficulties. And out of that was birthed this faith of trust in, in this God. That the foundations were laid in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And people started turning to Christ during that time. Think about China during some of those difficulty years where the churches had to go underground because of the persecution. They were being jailed. They were being beaten. They couldn't even sing out loud to draw attention, so they had to whisper, or if they were to clap, they have to air clap. They didn't even have enough Bibles. That was a big issue. So people would take a Bible, they would tear a page, and they would distribute a page for each person, and you're responsible for memorizing it. Then when you come back and meet again, you switch the pages so that eventually you can get the whole New Testament inside your brain and in your heart. That's why when you look at some of the things that we see now, it's because of that suffering, that trial, that persecution, that birthed this kind of faith in China. And God in his grace is allowing me to meet some of them. I remember even when I went to this one town, uh, one city in China, and I'm sitting around with all these church leaders and you could just tell that they were weathered. They went through a lot. 
And so they're sharing their testimony, and I'm sitting there with the translate listening, and they're like, yeah, I was in prison for 21 days. They talked about it as if, like, I went out for a jog. And I'm like, 21 days? Another person, 40-some days? We're talking about intensified, uh, intensified interrogation. Lights, bright lights upon them. They couldn't go to sleep. But something about them, they had this joy. They had this just tremendous love for Jesus Christ and the mission of God. And I'm thinking, is that how those things are birthed into our lives? Is through suffering and hardships and difficulties and persecution and not through comfort and being complacent and having prosperity and everything that we have. That's why I said it from day one. I'll keep on saying it. I think this COVID-19 with all the things that are bad about it, all the people who are suffering from it, I think that it is purifying the church. What I mean by that is this. After this whole government restriction is gone, I'm telling you right now, you will find out who are the ones who are committed. Because it's easy to roll out of bed and just turn on the computer. That's comfortable. So I was sharing this with the leaders. Don't forget, when this restriction is done, then you have to add another hour into your life. Somehow you have to find another hour. Why? Because you have to get up, change. You have to commute so that we can gather together to be trained as leaders. You, as a member, you're going to have to do that once the government restriction is done. That means you're going to have to get out of your bed earlier than you did today. Huh. Some of you are still late. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's comfortable. No wonder you're complacent. No wonder there is no revival in your heart. No wonder you have no desire to read the Bible. No wonder you have no desire to pray. And fasting, that just seems like a burden. I think about today right now in the Middle East. Do you know where the greatest revival is happening? It's in Iran. Right now, with some people I've been talking with, they do works there. The greatest revival that's happening right now is in the Middle East and it's in Iran. With all the suffering, with all the persecution and all the different, these Christians are coming out and they're putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever they grew up with, with Islam, now they're trusting in this Messiah. As God has revealed himself through miracles and through answered prayer, they realize that Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah. There is a revival going on in the underground church because of why? Suffering, persecution, and difficulties. That's why 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, listen to what it says in the voice translation and say the yellow section with me out loud. It says this, suffering, come on, test your faith which is more valuable than gold. Remember that gold, although it is imperishable, although it is perishable, is tested by fire so that it is, if it is found genuine, 
You can receive praise, honor, and glory when Jesus, the anointed, our liberating king, is revealed at last. It tests your faith so that we could be found genuine. When things are comfortable and things are easy, you will never know if this Jesus means anything to you. So here's Jesus speaking to this Leo, these believers from Laodicea and simply saying, you think you're this, but I'm telling you right now because I'm the amen and the true and faithful witness and the, from the beginning of creation, the source of all things. He says, you are poor, pitiful, and wretched. I don't know about you, but sometimes when he does that inquiring or investigating or digging into my life, it's not pleasant. But that's what we need if we're going to get our hearts back to where God wants us to be. I'm just wondering if some of us have become clueless and oblivious to our spiritual condition. Do we love comfort and our selfish desires more than Christ and the gospel? Have you grown apathetic recently and unmotivated to do anything? Maybe God is trying to inquire of you to help you to see where you are so that there could be transformation. So we're going to just go into a breakout room just one more time. And here are these questions that I want you to think about. Well, first of all, I was like, man, Pastor Seth is getting like, he's getting into it. What did he eat for today? But anyway, after you talk about that, then you could say, the first question is, why is it difficult to confess our need for God and admit that we are not doing well spiritually? The second question is, how can you remind yourself the next time you go through a difficult time that it is God's way of testing and strengthening your faith? So I'm going to give you six minutes once again, just jump right into it, and then we'll bring you back and close out quickly with the second point. Welcome back. I think if there's ever a huddle group that you wish you had a longer time, I think it's this one. As I was thinking about the questions once again, uh, these are things that we can share honestly and vulnerably in a very transparent way, and that's where God can minister to us. So once again, if you're connected with somebody in that life group, and you can continue the conversation. Hopefully you'll even join life group coming this coming week and we'll continue to talk about and study these things together. I want to just quickly mention the, the last point. And we talked about how God inquires of us. He looks into our hearts. He's asking the questions. He's investigating within us help to, so that we can see our own hearts. But this is the beauty of the gospel message. The second point is that God invites us. It is an invitation that God gives to us. Let me go ahead and read verse 18 and 19. This is what the Word of God says as we look at these two verses. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those 
whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. It's really interesting that Jesus says, I counsel you. That word counsel, if you study that word, it means it has this connotation of consulting. I am consulting you. That's why in the NASB it says, I advise you. I'm advising you. He's not forcing us. He's not telling us what to do. But he's consulting, he's advising, and he is counseling us. Once Jesus finishes inquiries into our lives and who we really are, instead of leaving us in our wickedness, in our pitifulness, what he does is he consults us. He advises us on what to do next. Now, before we get all excited and start jumping into like, what is it that I have to do? I want you to understand and you have to ask yourself this question. Why in the world does God even inquire and expose our hearts? Why does he do that? And as I was thinking about this for myself, like the last thing you want to do is hear these things about yourself, things that you don't like, things that you already know, but you've been trying to cover up. And now you're completely exposed. And we see in verse 19, as we just read, it is because God loves you. Can we just say that? I, I, just speak to your computer, okay? Just speak to yourself because you see yourself. Just say, God loves me. Will you say that? God loves me. What he's doing is he is consulting, he is counseling, he is advising you, and he is inviting you to something that you can only have dreamed of. And that is the reason why, because he loves you, that's why he's rebuking you. That's why he's disciplining you. This is very consistent all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me just give you a verse from each so that you understand this. It says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, you don't have to read the yellow. I'm just going to read it qu quickly here. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. That's the Old Testament. And you'll see this time and time again, all throughout the Israelite people, all the times that he had to do things, discipline them so that they will understand how much God loves them, even in their disobedience. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 11, listen to what it says. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and are not true sons. Moreover, we all we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So God disciplines us. He exposes us. He's inquiring of us so that then he can then advise us, invite us in. Once you know this, you will realize that what he's trying to do is shift your human paradigm into the gospel paradigm. He wants you to come to a point in your life where you're utterly broken. I cannot save myself. 
I cannot motivate myself. I cannot somehow be aware on my own. God, I need you. And this is where the gospel comes in. Jesus is inviting you and he's inviting me. He's inviting us to think about two areas in our lives. Through his rebuke, through his discipline, what does he want us to realize? The first thing is this, to recognize Jesus as the only source. In verse 18, we notice Jesus says, buy from me, blank, 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 so that, blank, blank, blank. Just quickly look at it. How many times he says that? Buy from me, this, this, and this, so that, this, this, and this. The goal that Jesus offers is refined by fire and allows us to be eternally rich. Not just rich here on this earth, but eternally rich. Some of you have been doing everything to be earthly rich, but your spirit and things that are eternal are rotting away. You are poor as Jesus was exposing the believers in Laodicea. Stop living for the things of this world. It's going to all fade away. You can't take it with you. So be rich in the spiritual and eternal things. So buy from me the real riches, he's saying. The white garments represents his righteousness, that you cannot cover up your sinfulness. You cannot cover up your nakedness. That's why he says, buy from me these garments that has been purchased by my blood when I died on the cross. Then he talks about the salve on the eyes because we cannot open up our spiritual blindness. We are depraved. So Jesus says, buy from me the salve that I will put on your eyes so that your eyes will be open, your spiritual eyes will be open, and you realize how majestic and beautiful and precious is Jesus Christ, who I am, he's saying, so that you will then humble yourself and turn to me. He's inviting us. All these things can only come from Jesus Christ because he is the source of, of all eternal riches, of all of God's righteousness, and opening up our spiritual eyes. It comes from Him and Him alone. Second thing is this, not only recognizing Jesus as the only source, but He's rebuking us, disciplining us, because He wants us to recognize that He is the only satisfaction. Look at verse 20 and 22. 20 through 22 it says this behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in to him and eat with him and he with me the one who conquers i will grant him to sit with me on my throne also uh, as i also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches what's happening is this powerful imagery of jesus standing at the door and knocking why is this important? Because Jesus is not busting down the door. I hope you understand this. He is not going to force you to repent. He is not going to do, he is waiting patiently, just like the prodigal father. So he's just knocking and waiting for you to hear that knock so that you realize this is the Holy Spirit. This is God speaking to me. And then what you have to do is the human responsibility. You have to open the door. He's inviting you. He's knocking. That's his sovereignty, but you have to open that door. And that's why he says, anyone who hears my voice and opens a door is being proactive in action. You got to do something. 
If we respond to this invitation, then we see in verse 20 that Jesus will eat with them. He will eat with you. He will eat with me. Now you're like, what's the big deal of eating? But you need to understand this is a very powerful image because it's not just eating. It's called table fellowship. That is the mindset of these early believers. They knew that the Lord's Supper, the thing that they shared together was something that was very important because you're identifying with those people around you that you're eating with. It brings unity. There's a sense of oneness. So that's what Jesus is saying. He says, I will eat with him and he with me. What he's saying is that we're going to be in this intimate relationship. We're having table fellowship together. And then he says in verse 21 and 22 that we're going to be uh, picturing us sitting next to him on the throne and we will reign forever. This is God's invitation to you and this is his invitation to me. Will you humble yourself? Be aware of the situation that you're at right now. Start motivating because your God is speaking to you. You're responding. Being motivated through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're saying, I hear the knock. I want to open that door and I want to respond to him. That's why the one thing as I shared earlier is simply that we can overcome our complacency as we repent with true transparency. Isn't this the gospel message? That all of us in our self-sufficiency, in our prosperity and our longing for comfort, we think everything's fine. But God tells us you're wretched, you're poor, you're pitiful. And what he should have done is poured out his wrath upon us. We should have died. But in his mercy and in his grace, he came and lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he went to the cross and he died. So now that if we place our faith in him, that his righteousness now becomes our righteousness. We're clothed in his righteousness. Our spiritual eyes are open now that we see. He's inviting us to say yes to him as we repent of our sins and say, God, I want to get out of my spiritual complacency by your grace. As I think about this, the question is now, what do we do? If you understand that he disciplines those he loves and that he's going to do his part, we're going to do our part. What is that part? Can I just invite us to think about a couple things? First of all, is this. Put into your calendar, put into your schedule a time of reflection. That's, that's, that's one of the first things you got to do. You are not going to be aware or you're going you're gonna to hear that knocking unless you slow down and take some time for reflection. That's why I think this is good that we're going into this fast. It's going to allow some room and some space for you to reflect Write some things down and keep yourself accountable. And after you write it down, share it with some of those LCGs or some of those people that you're spending time with. Say, this is what God's speaking to me about. Expect that. Demand that from one another. Like, what are you learning? What is God speaking to you about? So place and put some time of reflection. The second thing is this. Practice the habit of repentance. Practice the habit of repentance. See repentance not as a bad thing. See it as a good thing that we're confessing ourselves to God and we're hearing the knocking and we're literally opening the door. Think of opening the door as confessing, repenting, so that God can come in and eat with us. 
The third and last thing is prepare for the one desire fast. That's starting in about six some hours. I want to just encourage us, as we've heard from Pastor Bo and probably your leaders have mentioned this already to you, but I pray that all of you will participate somehow. Now, once again, some of you, because of health consideration, you might have to fast from other things, which is fine. It's not about trying to meet up to that standard. It's about you hearing from God and obeying and do the thing that He has called you to do. And can I just encourage us, and sometimes we forget, is that a lot of you are saying, oh, I'm not going to do social media. I'm going to follow that. I'm not going to do Netflix. This is just from years of it. This is what we call wisdom. I realized when I first we first started doing fasting for social media, I didn't delete that app from my phone. Nor did I not log out. So you know what happened? Without even thinking, because we're conditioned, I just pushed it. And it's like, bam! And I felt like I saw something I should have seen. I'm like, ha! Ah! You know, it's just like those things. So I, well, now I tell people, log out. So now if you have to log in, then you're really sinful. You know what I'm saying? That you purposely want to do it. So there's that extra speed bump to slow you down. Some guys are like, I can't even, I know I'm going to log in. And I know I'm going to do this. So you know what they do? They delete the program. Now, some of you, it's not social media because you have no pictures. You, you, you don't want to take pictures. You don't want to do anything. But it's video games. That means you got to log out of your account. Give your password to somebody else and let them change your password so you can. So if you then create a new account, a new profile, then that's sinful. So this is how you help each other. It's called Netflix, Disney Plus, what else is there? Amazon, whatever. Delete it. Focus. I really believe, and, and this is just me sharing from my heart. I've done a lot of fast over the years as a church, individually. I don't know why, but for this one, I am more excited than ever before, than all the previous ones. Maybe it's just for coming out of a pandemic and really feeling this greater hunger that I need God. I don't know what it is, but I just know it's the Spirit of God. And that's why I want to encourage you to listen for that knocking. He's waiting. He's inviting us. May you open that door as you repent and trust in Him that God's going to do some great things. I want to quickly close with this video. And it's just, I, I almost broke down in tears when I saw this. Uh, some of you know around April 4th, uh, 2020, this past year, as the COVID cases started rising, one of the countries that it really began to spread quickly was Brazil. So it was the United States, and then it was Brazil, and now it's India. But Brazil, there was an increase, a tremendous increase. And so what happened was that it brought even the body of Christ in Brazil to its knees. They realized God is trying to do something. He's trying to speak to us. So God started convicting different pastors and different leaders to pray. And as they began to do that, what they did was they prayed, not just in their homes and in the church, but they literally went out on the streets praying, humbling themselves, which reminds us of that passage in 2 Chronicles. You remember that? 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Listen to what it says. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will hear their, uh, heal their land. They took this seriously and they said, we're gonna pray, we're gonna humble ourselves. And one song that was an anthem for so many in Brazil was this old song that some of you might have heard before. It's called Because He Lives. Because He Lives. And it's by Bill and, uh, I'm trying to remember, it's by Bill and Gloria Gaither, uh, famous uh, songwriters. And here are, the, here are the lyrics. I want you to, I want you to, Look at it with me. It says this. God sent his son. They call him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. I want you to watch this video that someone took of people from this one church praying on the streets and they will sing this song in the background or this was a song that was sung in so many places they put it in the background i want you to watch it and we'll close out uh with a prayer after this powerful i'm wondering what would happen if every single person in our church and collectively together we humble ourselves and we seek God and we hear the knocking and we take that step and we open that door. As he invites us, he will come in and eat with us and us with him. I pray that this next two weeks will be an incredible experience for every single one of you whether you've done it before or not, that God will give you revelations, that you will hear from God, that it will strengthen your faith, those things that you struggle with, those issues that you constantly run into, that there will be freedom, liberty that will come forth. And you'll experience a joy like never before. And that there will be hunger in your hearts for more of God. If that can happen in the next two weeks, it makes us more humble, more hungry for God, I think it was worth it. May God spiritually awaken us as he shines his light upon us. And as we respond to him, he's going to do some great things. Can I pray for you? Just receive the blessings of God. I'm going to, I'm going to invite us. I know there's no magical powers. There's nothing that's going to come through your TV screen or your laptop. But I'm just going to ask you to just raise your hand. Will you just do that? Just stretch our hands out. It's just a sign of surrender to God. And I'm going to stretch my hand towards you. And I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us and treating us as sons and daughters of you, Lord. That's why you discipline us. That's why sometimes we go through the hardships and difficulties. Because you're trying to get our attention. You're knocking persistently, waiting for us to turn from our wicked ways and to turn to you. Lord, help us to see ourselves the way you see us. In our wretchedness, in our sinfulness, in our own weakness. But Lord, never leaving us there. But that you receive us, forgive us as we repent. 
and you call us your own, your child that is so dearly loved, highly favored. And I pray that that will motivate us, Lord, to know you more and to love you more. God, I pray for every single person who will participate in the One Desire Fast. Lord, I pray that this will be an opportunity, just an avenue for people to experience your heart more and more. Break the bondages. Set people free. Those who are praying for answers or Father who are in the midst of a decision, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that you will speak, that you will do a great thing. So help us to, Lord, put in the time for reflection. Help us to practice the habit of just even repentance as we come before you. And Lord, as we prepare for this one desire fast, we know you're going to do a great thing. So Lord, we're excited that we're going to be able to overcome our complacency as we repent and have true transparency. We love you. We thank you. May this be an awesome week. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.